Welcome to the My Rules Are Better podcast, I'm Tom Barbelay, and today let's talk about board games. Board games have a unique place in the trilogy of gaming that I'm talking about with regards to this podcast, specifically because they have the greatest outreach of any of the three. Board games are played pretty universally, and there are clubs that play board games, there are a wide variety of ways that people get access to board games, and what's interesting in the past... 15, 20 years as there has been a renaissance in board games in large part due to half a dozen titles that are periodically rolled out. Settlers of Catan is a big one. Ticket to Ride. These kind of board games have made board gaming more mainstream in a very real and profound sense. So when we talk about board game rules, we're talking about things that people already have strong passion and understanding with regards to. Board games are bounded typically, i.e. the environment is contained. There are a variety of things that can be used in mechanics. Obviously cards may play a role as well as dice. So in this space, you have options which you don't have in war games and role-playing games. But you also have constraints that you should be mindful as well. What's interesting is how much of what I've talked about already in this podcast series are also applicable to board games in terms of probability, in terms of potentially carrying wounds in terms of skills, in terms of a variety of things, you can implement this in a board game. But I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about where board games fall in my own exploration of rule writing. Something I encountered pretty frequently as a boy was arriving in a place, be it you know, a beach house or somewhere where I was staying, with a board game that didn't have the full set of rules, didn't have the full set of pieces, was a board game in some regard, but a board game minus a few critical components, usually the rules, at least. And within this environment, I typically had to construct a rule set to utilize all the pieces that were available. Sometimes I threw in additional pieces that I had and create a game that was playable and interesting. And this was quite an interesting discipline. I've recorded podcasts historically, Attic Aficionados is the name of the podcast, where I discussed with my co-host doing something similar. And I think what's interesting here is that a lot of folk will encounter board games in some regard and then start tweaking house rules, these kind of things, or where rules aren't applicable, will have to write their own rules. And one of my favorites that I recall growing up was very important to me is Stratica. That is a game where the complete rule set is interesting, but through standard play styles, you'll end up, after you play someone, maybe 10 15 times, you'll start to recognize play styles that they implement, particularly associated with where they put their, you know, highest piece, where they put their bombs, these kind of things. So creating additional rules to make Stratego more interesting was something that I took particular pleasure in. I remember over one summer writing half a dozen different rule sets to try to improve the gameplay with already existing game players that had, you know, well-understood strategies that they would implement with this game. So that kind of discipline is very interesting. If people have ever tried writing additional chess rules, that is also something where you have an existing game that is obviously well-loved, but has certain idiosyncrasies, certain weaknesses that can be exploited. And what's interesting is to create additional rules or house rules around that to modify various elements of the chess playing experience. So if you've already done this kind of thing, you're probably well ahead of where I want to start in this particular podcast. But I wanted to put those ideas out there 
for folks listening in that if you've already had those experiences, more power to you, and you're probably exactly the right person to be listening to this podcast. But if you haven't had those experiences previously, what you should probably consider is what the gameplay dynamic is within board games. What makes board games particularly fun, particularly interesting, and what kind of elements are really critical in your own sense of what a board game is. And limited space is something that I'm going to say a couple of times through this podcast, because it is the keen distinction between board games and war games. Most board games could actually convert, and this is where it gets particularly interesting, into war games. Think of a war game version of chess, where the pieces were out on a boundless board and had various movement logic associated with it. Consider what that might look like. So in this light, you can create board games which are also non-combative in nature. Board games which are ideally suited to finding goals or collaborative board games. These kind of things are possible as well. And the dynamics here are relatively easy to understand, particularly associated with resources, bartering, these kind of concepts which can be very easily implemented in board games too. So through this discussion, I don't want you to think that I'm necessarily just talking about combative board games as being the kind of board games that you should explore and create. But given that I've already described a series of combative mechanics leading up to this point, let us first start by considering what a combative board game would look like. And here you have a couple of options. You can go with hexes, you can go with squares, but there ideally is some space delineation which identifies movement in this environment. And when you look at classic kind of dungeon crawl board games, things like Hero Quest, they stick with squares. And squares actually works out pretty well. If you're dealing with large-scale movement and these kind of things, hexes make it slightly more interesting. But in general, I think most board games that we will discuss here will probably use squares as a means of delineating space. You then have movement. Maybe it's based on a dice roll to identify how far the player moves. And you have various kinds of interaction, such as taking cards or these kind of game elements, which build in the gameplay in some regard. So let us consider a strategy game which is based on collecting resources and defending resources. So here you want to have a concept of resources, obviously. There's an idea in ecosystem simulation, which I'll translate here to board games. The more kinds of resources you have, the more interesting and leveling the gameplay should be. If you're only dealing with a specific resource, like one resource, let's say wood, for example, then you're going to have a lot more conflict, a lot more hostility, because you're going to have players maximize very quickly to hoard the wood and hold the wood away from other people. But if you include things like, you know, stone, if you include things like food, if you include a variety of different components in the game, different elements in the game, let us just say, that the user is looking to collect and utilize, then you're going to have more interesting gameplay dynamics. So consider, rather than having single resource games, have multiple resource games where it would be impossible for one player to hold all the gold, all the wood, all the food, all these different components. Make it spread out in terms of where the resources are located. Make it strategic, associated with certain resources, and see what the gameplay dynamics comes out of this. Now, it's interesting to think of the role that video games, computer games, have had on this space. I was thinking particularly 
when we were talking about bows, guns, this kind of stuff. Finite munitions in these circumstances changes the dynamic of the game greatly. Most games don't deal with finite munitions. They just say, if you've got archers, they've got unlimited arrows. And that's an interesting gameplay dynamic. But if you have, for example, wood as being part of the resources that are available, maybe the archers are limited to the amount of arrows that they have based on your wood stockpile. So you have all these potential dynamics where you can hinge resources into battling dynamics, into various other aspects of gameplay. One of the most important things associated with board games, however, is typically they don't require very detailed instructions. The best board games, in fact, are board games which are quick to learn but difficult to master, which means typically you want maybe a double-sided sheet of paper at most with the rules on it. You want something that is simple, that is easy to implement, where the actual players and their various kind of gameplay proclivities create the game as much as the rules themselves create the game. And that's a very interesting concept to think about when you actually start creating rules, because you've got to think about this notion that the game exists in a variety of different quarters. It exists in the rules, it exists in the playing of the game, it exists in certain exploitation of the game, it may exist on discovery of certain dynamics. And when you create a rule set, you need to think of all these things together associated with providing the player what appears to be initially a very simple set of rules, but actually enables hours, tens of hours, in some cases even months and years worth of exploration. And certainly what's interesting looking at Settlers of Catan as a thing is the role that expansion packs and other things have played in this game being effectively playable for decades in terms of people coming back and returning to it and adding the expansion packs and replaying it and these kind of things. So when you create rule sets, particularly associated with board games, think a little bit outside the box associated with how you create dynamics which can create longevity in the gameplay. So we've discussed a resource-based game. Let's talk about an escape-based game. Escape from Colditz was a game that I played periodically in my childhood. It's had a resurgence recently, and when I saw the box set, I realised actually that they had embodied new rules in the new box set, but you could go back to the classic rules. And Escape from Colditz was an example where I think the only way the game was truly playable was if you actually invented house rules as well. It was a pretty curious game, actually, that built up over a period of time and ultimately either led to extreme success or extreme defeat. And there was very little in between with that game. But what it created was an environment where, let me explain this, it is a classic kind of World War II scenario, a bunch of prisoners of war captured in this castle with German sentries that move around, hold them in place, and a variety of game dynamics around that idea. And the thing that fascinated me with Colditz was firstly the physical space, that it was created in a physical space of the board game, but also that if you played it just as you know, one player versus the German guards, it had a completely different dynamic than if you portioned the prisoners, which was an option as well through the game. So you had two or three or four prisoner players plus one guards player. And this, I think, was an interesting dynamic, particularly because it created a scenario which I've seen through games like Risk. Risk, when played with multiple parties, is ultimately a diplomacy game. 
It's a game where various pacts will be created, various people will divide up, they'll agree on non-aggression associated with their various borders, and then that typically destabilizes very rapidly. Ideally, what will happen is they will eliminate all other obstacles, or maybe one other player will remain as an obstacle, and then those pacts and those treaties will break down very rapidly. There was an element with that that could never be properly defined, certainly in my own play of Escape from Culdits, but it was something that interested me. There was potential for different prisoner factions, basically, to work in different ways and to have agreements and these kind of things. So within these dynamics, consider what happens with two players versus three players versus four players and how the diplomacy and strategy of kind of collective bargaining can be part of a game as well. It's a difficult dynamic to think about in an abstract sense, but usually once you start defining these parameters, defining the space that you're playing in, these kind of things, you can quickly add advantageous strategic elements associated with diplomacy. So what I've done here is distilled a smattering of ideas associated with board games. But I think board games are particularly powerful because, returning to my original point, They have a reach which is far beyond role-playing games, far beyond war games. When I think about board games in terms of the people that I generally meet, and this is, of course, a very select and uh, somewhat self-organized set of people, but at least half of the people I would meet would have what I would consider a new wave board game, be it Settlers of Catan, Ticket to Ride, these kind of things. Board games that have come out in the past, you'll correct me, I'm sure, if I'm wrong, but board games that have come out in the past two decades. And I think that as a new thing, a new phenomena, is actually opening a great degree of potential for folks to invent their own board game rules, to play them out with friends, and to do basically what I'm advocating through this podcast series, but specifically with regards to board games. So if you have some background in this, if you've written your own board game rules, if you have some ideas or want to suggest topics specifically associated with board games, but potentially also touching on role-playing games and war games, please get in contact with me. My email address is barbalay at gmail.com. I'll give you the first name in military speak. Bravo Alpha Romeo, Bravo Alpha Lima Echo Tango at gmail.com. And remember, as I say in all these podcasts, this is a word of mouth podcast. The way this podcast survives and flourishes is because you, the listener, talks to your friends posts on social media, identifies that this is a podcast of interest and other folks that have similar interests should probably give it a listen and get involved. I did float the idea of opening up a Skype call, getting involved a number of folks that are participating in terms of comments and these kind of things with the podcast. I'm looking forward to doing that. I think we need to build a community slightly more. There is a Facebook page as well. I've not mentioned the Facebook page up until now, but if you search for My Rules Are Better, and then I think I have a little thing saying a podcast about creating your own rules, that is a good hub for communicating with other listeners and getting a sense of like-minded folks so we can perhaps workshop an idea of doing a collective podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Tom Barbelay in San Jose, signing out.